back for another week of Wrestling with Theology. I am Pastor Doug Minton, here with episode number 54, an episode of Common Ground, as we look at the line in the Apostles' Creed, the communion of saints. As we go from the communion of saints, we will then go into the Roman Catholic's ultimate saint, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we'll be covering paragraphs 946 to 975 of the Roman Catholic Catechism this morning. Paragraphs 946 to 962 are counted as paragraph 5 of Article 9, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And it's in brief, is real brief, beginning with paragraph 960 to 962. The church is a communion of saints. This expression refers first to the holy things, sancto, above all the Eucharist, by which the unity of believers who form one body in Christ is both represented and brought about. The term communion of saints refers also to the communion of holy persons, sancti, in Christ, who died for all, so that what each one does or suffers in and for Christ bears fruit for all. We believe in the communion of all the faithful of Christ, those who are pilgrims on earth, the dead who are being purified, and the blessed in heaven, all together forming one church. And we believe that in this communion, the merciful love of God and his saints is always attentive to our prayers. So far, the reading from the Catechism. The communion of saints has two connotations. Lutherans and Catholics both agree with this. It can be the holy people or the holy things. The issue is where the priority comes in. Is it the holy people first or the holy things first? Lutherans place the holy people first. We who have been bought by Christ's blood, who have been saved from our sins. That is the important thing in the communion of saints, which is why we tag it on to the Holy Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church puts the main focus on worship and life in the Mass. And it's done this for centuries. This idolatry of the Mass was one of the greatest issues of the Reformation. Not just for the Lutheran Reformation, but also for Calvin and for the radical reformers, the Anabaptists. Everybody who broke away from the Catholic Church had an issue with the Mass first and foremost. In the mind and writings of most of the Catholic faithful, the main focus of life is attendance at Mass. The focus of life is upon the elements being re-sacrificed upon the altar instead of the Christian life being lived out in a life of love for our neighbor. The Lutheran Church has always placed more emphasis on the holy people than the holy things. While the holy things are important, the holy people are needed so they can be enjoyed. This can be seen through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Everything that happens 
happens to people. These things, forgiveness, resurrection, everlasting life, do not happen in a vacuum. They happen to people. They happen to you. They happen to me. People are central to the life of the church. Not that the sacraments are nothing of themselves, but they happen to people. And these people are the holy ones of God. These people are the saints. However, the word saint also differs between Catholic and Lutheran perspectives. In fact, the term saint differs between Catholic understanding and the Bible. St. Paul uses the term saints in his epistles to refer to Christians in the congregations. Roman Catholics use the term saint to speak only of dead Christians who have lived exemplary lives and are available as intercessors between people and God. They have an entire process of how you become a saint after you die. Neither Jesus nor St. Paul nor any of the other biblical writers speak about the intercession of the saints for particular reasons. Although the prayers of the saints are mentioned in Revelation 5 and 8, they are the prayers of the saints on earth which ascend with the incense to our Heavenly Father's throne. Although the Catholic faithful are urged to pray to certain saints for intercession, there is no scriptural mandate of this practice, not even to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Our prayers are ascend to God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is where the communion of saints comes in. This is where the difference lies. But as I said, not even the Blessed Virgin Mary is given a scriptural notice that she can be prayed to, she can be reached for intercession. That is a completely made-up thing with the Roman Catholic Church. And now let us look at that as we look at paragraphs 963 to 975. And with the focus that the Roman Catholic Church puts on Mary, I'm going to read the entire section. So this is a lengthy section as they have several quotations from the document Lumen Gentium, or the Dogmatic Constitution of the Church from the Second Vatican Council. Paragraph 693. Since the Virgin Mary's role in the mystery of Christ and the Spirit has been treated, it is fitting now to consider her place in the mystery of the Church. The Virgin Mary is acknowledged and honored as being truly the Mother of God and of the Redeemer. She is clearly the Mother of the members of Christ, since she has by her charity joined in bringing about the birth of believers in the Church who are members of its head. Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church. Part 1. Mary's motherhood with regard to the church. She is wholly united with her son. Mary's role in the church is inseparable from her union with Christ and flows directly from it. This union of the mother with the son and the work of salvation is made manifest from the time of Christ's virginal conception up to his death. It is made manifest above all at the hour of his passion. Thus the Blessed Virgin advanced in her pilgrimage of faith, and faithfully persevered in her union with her Son unto the cross. There she stood, in keeping with the divine plan, enduring with her only begotten Son the intensity of his suffering, joining herself with his sacrifice in her mother's heart, and lovingly consented 
to the immolation of his victim born of her, to be given by the same Christ Jesus dying on the cross as a mother to his disciple with these words, Woman, behold your son. After her son's ascension, Mary aided the beginnings of the church by her prayers. In her association with the apostles and several women, we also see Mary by her prayers imploring the gift of the Spirit who had already overshadowed her in the Annunciation. She is wholly united to her son also in her assumption. Finally, the Immaculate Virgin, preserved free from all stain of original sin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory, and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things, so that she might be the more fully conformed to her son, the Lord of Lords and conqueror of sin and death. The Assumption of the Blessed Virgin is a singular participation in her son's resurrection and an anticipation of the resurrection of other Christians. In giving birth, you kept your virginity. In your dormition, you did not leave this world, O Mother of God, but were joined to the source of life. You conceived the living God, and by your prayers will deliver our souls from death. This quoting from the Byzantine liturgy for the Feast of Dormition, August 15th. And she is our mother in the order of grace. As the Catechism picks up in paragraph 967. By her complete adherence to the Father's will, to his Son's redemptive work, and to every prompting of the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary is the Church's model of faith and charity. Thus she is a preeminent and wholly unique member of the Church. Indeed, she is the exemplary realization of the Church. Her role in relation to the Church and to all humanity still goes further. In a wholly singular way, she cooperated by her obedience, faith, hope, and burning charity in the Savior's work of restoring supernatural life to souls. For this reason, she is a mother to us in the order of grace. This motherhood of Mary in the order of grace continues uninterruptedly from the consent which she loyally gave at the Annunciation and which she sustained without wavering beneath the cross until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the Church under the titles Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. Mary's function as Mother of Men in no way obscures or diminishes this unique mediation of Christ, but rather shows its power. But the Blessed Virgin's salutary influence on men flows forth from the superabundance of the merits of Christ, rests on his mediation, depends entirely on it, and draws all its power from it. No creature could ever be counted along with the incarnate Word and Redeemer. But just as the priesthood of Christ is shared in various ways both by his ministers and the faithful, and as the one goodness of God is radiated in different ways among his creatures, so also the unique mediation of the Redeemer does not exclude, but rather gives rise to a manifold cooperation, which is but a sharing in this one source. Part 2, paragraph 971, calls for the devotion to the Blessed Virgin. All generations will call me blessed. The Church's devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary is intrinsic to Christian worship. The Church rightly honors the Blessed Virgin with special devotion. From the most ancient times, the Blessed Virgin has been honored with the title of Mother of God, to whose protection the faithful fly in all their dangers and needs. 
This very special devotion differs essentially from the adoration which is given to the Incarnate Word and equally to the Father and to the Holy Spirit, and greatly fosters this adoration. The liturgical feast dedicated to the Mother of God and Mary in prayer, such as the Rosary, an epitome of the whole Gospel, express this devotion to the Virgin Mary. And then part 3, paragraph 792, shows Mary as the eschatological icon of the Church. After speaking of the Church, her origin, mission, and destiny, we can find no better way to conclude than by looking to Mary. In her, we contemplate what the Church already is in her mystery on her own pilgrimage of faith, and what she will be in the homeland at the end of her journey. There, in the glory of the most holy and undivided trinity, in the communion of all the saints, the church is awaited by the one she venerates as mother of her Lord and as her own mother. In the meantime, the mother of Jesus, in the glory which she possesses in body and soul in heaven, is the image and beginning of the church as it is to be perfected in the world to come. Likewise, she shines forth on earth until the day of the Lord shall come, a sign of certain hope and comfort to the pilgrim people of God. Now the in brief paragraphs 973 to 975. By pronouncing her fiat at the Annunciation and giving her consent to the Incarnation, Mary was already collaborating with the whole work her son was to accomplish. She is mother wherever he is savior and head of the mystical body. The most blessed Virgin Mary when the course of her earthly life was completed, was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven, where she already shares in the glory of her son's resurrection, anticipating the resurrection of all members of his body. We believe that the Holy Mother of God, the new Eve, Mother of the Church, continues in heaven to exercise her maternal role on behalf of the members of Christ. Quoting Pope Paul VI. For most non-Catholics, the Blessed Virgin Mary is where the rubber meets the road when talking to Catholics. Along with papal infallibility and the Catholic doctrine of baptism, the adoration of Mary is one of the greatest detriments in Catholic-non-Catholic dialogue. Throughout this section, many quotations come from the Lumen Gentium, as I said earlier, the dogmatic constitution on the Church from the Second Vatican Council in the late 60s, early 70s. Being a major document from the latest council, the entire text of the Catechism is greatly indebted to that document. In this document, the union of the Virgin Mary and Jesus because of his conception and death. While there is the physical bond between mother and child, this does not mean that either is defaultly complicit in the activities of the other. For example, a woman who gives birth to a child who grows up to be a serial killer should not be punished because she is united in her child's sins. Likewise, Mary cannot be seen as being a mediatrix or benefactress, as she is called in paragraph 969, because her son is the one mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2.5. Mary is not to be given special adoration simply because she is Jesus' mother. The other side of the Mary conundrum is her assumption into heaven after her death. The Roman Catholic Church is the only Christian denomination that believes and teaches that Mary was assumed into heaven like Elijah, 2 Kings 2, and possibly Moses, Deuteronomy 34. Pope Pius XII proclaimed this doctrine on November 1st, 1950. 
This is the most recently declared doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. In the last almost 70 years, there has been debate whether or not Mary physically died or was simply taken up into heaven. Nowhere can this be found in the Bible. Several apocryphal accounts have circulated since the 4th century or so, but it was not pressed into public doctrine until 1950. All Christians should have a proper respect for Mary. I'm not saying that she deserves nothing, but she is to be treated like all the other saints of God. Because the humble virgin whom Gabriel visited in Nazareth would not have the great pomp and circumstance over her person. Christians can look to her as an example of God working through the most unlikely of people to bring about his great works. Because that is exactly what happened. God sent Gabriel to declare to a teenage girl in a backwater town of Galilee that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. The mother of the Son of God. Truly, yes, she can be called the mother of God because Jesus is God. If you want to try to get through and separate that out and illuminate that title, you have to figure out what are you going to do with Jesus being God. Because, yes, you can say Mary is the mother of God because Jesus is God. But that does not give her any extra special attention or purpose in this life. She is not a benefactress. She is not a mediatrix. She is not a redemptress or any of the other titles that you can possibly come up with just making feminine forms of the titles of Jesus. Now to my Catholic friends and listeners, I'm not saying that you're going to hell for this. I'm just simply saying it's wrong. It's a new innovation that should not have happened. But it has and we have to deal with it. This is part of the wrestling with the theology of speaking with people who disagree with us. Not that we just tear them straight down, and I pray that you have not seen this episode as just tearing down everything that there is in the Catholic Church, because I don't believe I have that ability. This is where we wrestle. This is where we think, okay, what is it that they are saying? What is it that we are saying? Where are the commonalities? Therefore, common ground. Where are the stark differences? What can we say? What can we not say? That is what this entire common ground portion of wrestling with theology is. It's just pointing those out. Yes, these are things that we have to consider. There is no way to get around talking to a Roman Catholic without the Virgin Mary coming up at some point in time. Because that is where, for the common layperson in the pew, that's where everything goes. You're either on your butt in the pew at Mass, or you are wanting to make sure that you give the proper reverence to the Mother of God. It's boils simply down to that. And that is the life 
of your typical, maybe even stereotypical Roman Catholic. But for Lutherans, Mary is wonderful. We would not have salvation if it weren't for Mary. But Mary was simply a vessel to hold the Son of God for nine months in her womb to give birth to him in Bethlehem as we celebrated two weeks ago. That was her role in the plan of salvation. And we can go through the stories in the Gospels of where she didn't unwaveringly hold to, this is what Jesus is supposed to be. This is what he's supposed to do. Because Mary, like you and like me, was a sinner. She can't help it because she was born of her parents. We were born of her parents who, as we understand the doctrine of original sin, every generation dating back to Adam and Eve's fall in the Garden of Eden inherited sinful natures in themselves. Cannot do anything about it. And no declaration of a pope no sophisticated philosophical argument is going to change that. Because the humble virgin in Nazareth who trembled at the first sight of Gabriel would be one of the first people to tell you that she needed a savior as well. That's all for this week. I feel like I've rambled on a little bit, but this is one of those major things between Catholics and non-Catholics that need to be discussed in detail and in length. So, I continue to encourage you to continue to listen, to subscribe to the podcast. It's on all the major podcasting platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify, CastBox, on and on. Subscribe. Encourage your friends to subscribe. Comment on there. Whether it's on Facebook, on the Wrestling With Theology page, email me, wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com. I encourage you, give me feedback. If there is something you would like me to bring back up with this, I'll be more than happy to do that. And please, as we have gotten into this new year. Many people resolve to be more in tune with God's Word. I encourage you to do that. Yesterday we had the first farther along episode, weekly now, going through the small catechism with Bible, with uh, confessional readings, and with readings from the Church Fathers. I encourage you to be in with those. Every weekday morning is Moments of Meditation, a brief one to two minute devotion just to kind of perk you up in your faith for the day to get you going once again. And then yes, the bigger stuff, the broader stuff is coming in February and March with majoring in the minors, with Mormon Mondays, all of that's coming Because it's all there to help you 
wrestle with theology. Amen.